Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this morning. Uh, we thank you for Jesus and uh, what a powerful name uh, that name is. We're, we're grateful uh, for his power that is made perfect in our weakness. And uh, may we be about uh, his name and his glory and his gospel uh, each and every day. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. It certainly uh, would never be uh, my favorite season by any stretch of the imagination that my family's gone through. Uh, it was back in the, the late fall. Uh, my dad had passed away in November. Uh, we had uh, the normal kind of COVID stress. It was November and December, and so we had kind of just normal holiday stress, just a lot going on. And in the middle of all of that, our nine-year-old uh, got a bowel obstruction. Now, in case you're feeling any jealousy at all, it's as luxurious as it sounds uh, to have a nine-year-old with bowel obstruction. And uh, I remember uh, during that period of time, there were tons of doctor's appointments and uh, home treatments and medications and all of that stuff. And I think during all of that, Sam would articulate uh, that we love him and we care about him and all of that stuff, and, and, but, but it was still hard. But I think now that he would also articulate that what we did during that period of time resulted in his good, right? So, and, and it's kind of a weird battle that we sometimes face, right? We're like, man, that was hard. That was difficult. I wouldn't want to go through that again, but it resulted in good. There are things that we know that are good, but they don't feel good at the time right? That, that, that's just true of life. And, and a lot of times you, you don't see it in the, the windshield. You see it in the rearview mirror. You see it looking back and man, that was difficult. That was painful. That was hard. But God, God accomplished this, this, and this. And listen, the later truth doesn't negate the former truth, right? To, to look back and say, man, God accomplished these three things does not take away the hardness of the situation, right? Something can be both hard and God can use it for good. So one truth doesn't negate the other, but for Christians, it's really hard to hold these two things in balance. Uh, that, that I'm going through something hard, difficult, and painful, but I know God can work all things for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. So I know God can do something good, I just have to look forward into the future to seeing uh, what that is. And you've probably had a season of life that feels this way. Wasn't pleasant, wasn't fun, but it had to be done or it needed to be done and you're the person you are today because of it and you would never look back and say, oh, that was easy or that wasn't painful or that wasn't hard. You wouldn't look back and rewrite history, but you would look back and you would say, man, God used that season for his purposes in me and in my family, in my church, in my community. God was able to use this difficult circumstance uh, for his purpose. And this is kind of what Paul's gonna write about Today, And if you want to know about uh, finding joy in difficult circumstances, I think today's text is one of the secret sauces of that truth. That we've all been through uh, 2020, we've all had different seasons of difficult. Uh, we're all hopeful that God can use these events for some good. Uh, we're all longing to see how he's going to do that. But if you want to know how, because sometimes people read Paul and they're like, I don't know if you can say this aloud or not, but like, was the Apostle Paul mentally ill? Right, he seems a little crazy. He's not crazy. He understands the secret sauce. He's not mentally ill. Let me set that aside, right? He understands the secret sauce of suffering 
and going through difficult things uh, and arriving on the other side of it. So we, have, we can learn a lot from Paul. Don't set him aside as a lot of people in our culture are doing. We can learn a lot from him. And here's what he writes. Therefore, my, all right, I want you to hold on to that, all that introduction. We're going to come to that in about five, ten minutes, right? Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Now, let's talk about this opening line just for a minute, and then we'll get to the rest of the text. Because there is, this text is often used in many church circles to kind of strike fear into the heart of people who have given their life to Jesus. And, and to make them question whether or not they're really saved. It's this line that continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It makes us all afraid. It's like, man, I remember giving my life to Jesus. I feel like I'm saved, but now Paul's making me wonder if I really am. And listen, I think it's good to every once in a while consider the question, am I walking with Jesus? Have I given my life to Jesus? Am I trusting him for my salvation? Have I made him Lord? Are there fruits of that decision? The, the Bible talks about the seal of a Christian is the Holy Spirit. And the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So am I seeing the Spirit do this work in my life? Not like a light switch, but more like our mission statement says a journey. Am I growing in these things? I think it's good to ask these questions every once in a while. I'm just not sure sure this is the best text to do that with, all right? I had a lot of anxiety when I was a kid. Still have some as an adult, but I, I had a lot when I was a kid. And I came to Christ very young. I was baptized. I think it was, I was right around 10 years old. Uh, and I would go through these periods of my life where I had doubt and I was trying to work out my faith. As, just as I matured and got older as a young man, I was trying to overcome certain sins. And there, there were multiple periods of my life where I was terrified that I wasn't saved. And it became a real issue. And here's what I want to say to you. Jesus came, one of the reasons he came was so that you could have confidence in your salvation. Not confidence in you, that's legalism, but confidence in him and confidence in his grace. So I wanna invite you into a saved, saving relationship with Jesus to receive his spirit and to have you not walk in fear and not walk in anxiety, but have you walk in confidence in his saving grace. And I think it's an understanding of grace that gives us confidence in our Lord. That meant I am not saved by works of righteousness. I am not saved by what I have done. I am saved by the blood and the work of Jesus Christ. And I can stand confident in that. So I think that this understanding of this text, kind of creating this fear about our salvation, continue to work out your fear, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, I think it flows from a very narrow view of the saving work that Jesus wants to do in your life and mine. And I think that's why we tend to read this text about, man, am I going to heaven? Like, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I went forward at camp. I was baptized. I gave my life to the Lord. What on earth are you talking about, Paul? I was saved a long time ago. And I think that's a very very narrow view of the saving work Jesus wants to do in your life and mine. I've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, and he still is doing a saving work in me. Let me throw out a couple points to you. I think we think God's salvation happens one time and in a moment. 
Now, it's true. Most of the time, deciding to follow Jesus happens in a moment. I've made reference to this text a couple times, but Peter, uh, the first sermon he ever gave the early church, he gets up to the crowd, the same crowd that was there for the crucifixion of Jesus, and he preaches one of the most bold sermons you will ever hear in your life, and the title of it could be, You Just Killed the Son of God. And everybody hears this sermon, and they're like, oh, we're, we're in trouble. And here's what happens. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, what shall we do? And Peter replied, replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you, your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord God will call. And with many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And in that moment, they decided to follow Jesus. So I don't want to discount the moment. But when the Bible talks about your salvation, it talks about a moment, yes. But it also talks about this daily process of following Jesus over a lifetime. That every day that we follow Jesus is a day that we are being saved. We're being saved as we choose to follow him. We're being saved from bad decisions. Decisions you would have made had it not been for the spirit of Christ. We're being saved from the bad gods of our culture that want to lead us astray. We're being uh, saved from a bad way of thinking. Salvation is, a mo- is not just a moment. It is an ongoing work of the spirit. And it's this very narrow view of that salvation happens in a moment when I get baptized or when I give my life to Christ or whatever the case may be. It's this, we have this very narrow view of it. And the scriptures would just say, no, there's an ongoing work that happens even after you give your life to Christ, right? So we think... Salvation is also primarily and sometimes only about going to heaven, right? When we think about the question, am I saved? A lot of times the question underneath the question is, will I go to heaven when I die? And listen, that's obviously part of it. It's a huge part of it. But the scripture is clear on this. The salvation work that Jesus is doing is not just about us going to heaven. It's about us bringing heaven to earth. It's not just us going up there. It's bringing up there down here. So as followers of Jesus, we are invited into this promoting and building up God's kingdom here on earth so that the people of this earth can see Jesus, his kingdom, and his righteousness in us. And he is at, we, we get invited into that work. May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So the saving work of Jesus is not just about up there. It is, but it's not just about that. It's about bringing up there, down there. And last one, We think it's primarily about the forgiveness of sins. And listen, we celebrate the forgiveness of sins every single Sunday. It is about the forgiveness of sins. But it's also about the work of the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit is doing in us and through us to transform us into the likeness of Jesus. So here's what Paul is saying. God is at work in you to fulfill his good purposes. And it's part of the saving work of that he's doing. Yes, forgiveness of sins. Yes, heaven. Yes, all of that stuff. But God is at work in you, and God has a purpose in you and through you in this world. And his purposes are good for you, and his purposes are good for them. His purposes are good. So what does it look like? Well, we'll get back to Paul here in just a minute, but I want to share with you this text. When I think about the work that God is doing, or the work that God allows in a broken and sinful world, the work that is ongoing in this world, I think about a text from Hebrews, and it says, and what shall I say? 
I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets. And look, look at this. Here, here's the work that God did here. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and rooted foreign armies. Go team, right? Women received back their dead, raised to life again. And they said, the three tough words of this text, there were others, there were others who were faithful, and who God was at work equally in their life, but here's what he allowed for them. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in the deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. And when I read that text, I'm like, question God. How do I get in group A? <laughs> what, what do I need to do to get into group A? A, right? I want to rout foreign armies. I want to win victories. I want to, I want to do all of that. And can I tell you something? It's up to God. It's up to God. And here's what I want you to see in this text. Sometimes it is easy to accept his purposes and his saving work. And sometimes, according to Paul, we have to work it out because it's hard and it's difficult and it's not easy. Sometimes his work looks like immediate success. Immediate success. We've all been through seasons like that. And sometimes his work looks like immediate trial for later success. And I think sometimes Paul is exactly right when he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I think he's talking about this saving work that God is doing in us and through us in the world. And he's saying sometimes it is easy to accept. And you might be in a season right now where, yeah, the work of God in my life, it is easy to accept. That I'm, I'm having kids, we're raising our kids, life is good, I have a job, everything's up and to the right. But some of you, you practically crawled in here today. And you're asking big questions like what? What on earth is he doing? Where on earth is he? And when will it end? And you crawled into this place and you are in the category that Paul is talking about here where you're trying to work it out. You're trying to work it out with God. What on earth are you doing? So here's what I want you to know. It is okay to ask tough questions. It is. It is okay to ask tough questions. Read through the Old Testament book of Proverbs, or of Psalms, excuse me, and you will see it is okay to ask tough questions. Some of those Psalms are absolutely brutal to, to read. They, they just are. That you'll, read these, you'll read these texts and a person is being persecuted by their enemies, and the Psalm that they will write is, Dear God, may their children be dashed against the rocks. It's like, Whoa, can you pray that? Is that a prayer you can pray? Right? That doesn't seem right, but it is gut-wrenching, heartfelt, questioning of God, why on earth is this happening, and it's okay. It is okay to ask God tough questions. If you still don't believe me, read the story of the cross. 
It is a story where we would all agree that God is at work in the story of the cross. But there comes this moment where even Jesus, the perfect son of God, during that story, he asks God a tough question, his father a tough question, and here's the question he asks. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's working it out. He's working it out. He's working out what God is doing, why he's doing it, and when it's going to end. He's working it out, and it's okay. Here's the other thing I would say to you before we continue on in the text. It is okay to ask questions, and you need to know, this is an okay place and people to ask them with. Some churches are scared to death of questions. We are not. Some people don't like questions, we're fine with it. By God's grace, we are embracing questioning. So if you are here today and you barely crawled into this place and you are trying to work it out with God and you've got big questions, we are glad that you're here. Our mission statement says it best. We are a growing family journeying together to be more like Jesus. Guess what the truth is underneath that statement? We've all got questions. We've all got a few questions. We're all trying to work it out. We're all trying to figure it out. We're all on a journey. We all have questions, and that's okay. So, now the next part of this text is where it gets a little bit confusing. Verse 14, he says, So, do everything without complaining and arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a, in a warped and crooked generation, and then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. It sounds like a contradiction, right? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling makes it sound like it is okay to ask questions and God is inviting us to ask questions. Uh, the other statement here, do everything without complaining and arguing, arguing sounds more like shut up and do what I'm telling you to do. And here's what I want you to see. These are not contradictory statements. They actually work in concert. That we are working out God's work and salvation in our lives with fear and trembling. We're working it out with God. We're not running away from him anymore like we used to do. We're not standing in angry opposition to him. We're working it out with respect, worship, and honor. We're asking good questions, not accusatory questions like Job asked in the Old Testament. And the next statement shows us the result of that work when we do that. When we do that well. The result of that is peace. So Jesus, to come back to him, he's wrestling with God in the garden before he goes to the cross and he says, man, if there's any way this cup can pass from me, let it be. He's working out what's about to happen to him. And then he says this, but not as I will, but as you will. He's wrestling, he's working, and he's coming to a place of peace with the Father's will. No grumbling, no arguing, your will be done. We took a vacation to the Upper Peninsula last year, and while we were up there, we did a lot of hiking to waterfalls and stuff like that. And I got home, uh, back to Central Illinois, and I was like, I miss the hiking. I miss being outdoors with my kids. I, I, I love that. And then I was like, we have a lot of great state parks uh, in the state of Illinois. And so I instituted what my kids will tell you is one of the banes of their existence, Adventure Friday. All right, Friday's my day off, so Adventure Friday. Right? I look up a state park, we go to it, and we hike. Lila at three and Sam at nine, we hike. Now, there have been a few times 
that I have overestimated their abilities. <laughs> and we have gotten pretty far out and they are coming back tired. And can I tell you, there's a lot of grumbling and arguing all the way back. But you know what they discovered? They discovered they were capable of more than they thought. And they discovered that dad was right the whole time. <laughs> and they need to learn that daily. It's, it's a daily truth. All right, so. This is what Paul is describing. It is a place in who, a person who arrives at a place where they say, not my will, but yours. I have questions. We need to work it out, God. I, I've got questions and that's okay. But I will walk this stretch of road you've called me to. And I will walk it well, without complaining and without arguing. And look at the result. You are blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. He says, as you do this well, this generation will see you walk a difficult and hard path, if that's what you're called to. They will see you walk a difficult and hard path in grace and faith and grit and fortitude, and you will shine like a star in the universe as you hold firmly to the word of truth. Our culture, after the last year and a half, we desperately need these examples. We need people who look at this trial that we're in, the pandemic, culture, all of this stuff. We, we need people who will say, man, God, your will be done, not mine, and I will walk the path you have laid out for me with faithfulness, grace, fortitude, and grit. I will walk my path well in good times, because that's a call too, and challenging times. I will walk well. And you may wonder, uh, what this could look like. And Paul, for the rest of the chapter, he gives us three examples, three kind of case studies of what this could look like. And I want to go through them very quickly. The first example he uses is, is himself. And here's what he says. And then I will, be able, I will be able to boast on the day of the Lord. I did not run or labor in vain. But if even I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service that comes from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I want you to notice some of Paul's words here. He says, I am being poured out. This is kind of a Greek way of describing my death is near. I'm being poured out. I am sacrificing. I am serving. Paul had endured so much persecution. He's writing this letter from prison, and here is where he arrives. He says, man, I've wrestled with God. I've Ask God, I've worked it out, and now I will do everything he calls me to do without complaining or arguing. And Paul actually takes it a step beyond that. And this is where people start going, was this dude okay? I mean, he needs a friend or something. But here's what he says. I am glad and rejoice. I am glad and rejoice. Why, Paul? You've been persecuted, beat down, imprisoned harmed. You are glad and rejoice. Why? Because as Scott said a couple weeks ago, the gospel was everything to him. The gospel was every single thing to him. Not his comfort, 
not his needs, not his desire. It is the gospel. And he says, if this is a way I can serve the gospel, if this is a way I can serve the gospel well, I will do everything without complaining or arguing. I will walk the path God has laid out for me with faithfulness, grace, and grit. Then Timothy. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ, but you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to send him to you soon as, as, I, see how things, as, as I see how things go with me, and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. So look at how he's describing Timothy here, all right? And this is the second case example. It's familial language. He's like a son to me, Paul says. And, and here's his road. He says, I am going to send him to you. And he is going to pastor you and encourage you and show genuine concern for your welfare. He is called to pastor these people that Paul has asked him to care for. He is called to serve. And some of you are in a caring ministry right now. You are parenting, it's a caring ministry. I know you might just say, no, I'm a mom or I'm, I'm a dad. No, you're in a caring ministry, right? You are in a caring ministry. Or you're in a relationship right now with someone that is very difficult. You're in a ministry to someone that is an EGR, extra grace required. And it can feel like you, you care more about this person than they care about themselves. It feels like it can be thankful, uh, thankless. It can be hard to balance these type of relationships. And sometimes one of two things happens when you're in a caring ministry like Timothy was called to, to be in. You stuff, you stuff, you stuff, and then you blow up. Or you passively, aggressively begin to withdraw from the person without any explanation at all. And listen, we need to engage in self-care. We need to be honest about where we are but we also want to travel the road we're called too well. We want to do everything without complaining or arguing. And when your child has asked for their 18th drink in a day, it is hard. When you're giving advice and it's never followed, it is hard. When you pour out and you pour out and you pour out and you never even get a thank you, it is hard. And Paul says, it's hard to hear. He says, maybe this is the path God has called you to. And maybe you need to work that out with God if you don't like the path. And then arrive at a place where you do everything without complaining or arguing. Last example, Epaphroditus. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, coworker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs, for he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was, was ill. He almost died. But God had mercy on him, and no, not only on him, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. A lot of people think this Epaphroditus could have been uh, the pastor that Paul intended to leave at Philippi when he left. This seemed like the road Epaphroditus was going to follow, and then he got sick. 
The Greek word here is he was a close neighbor to death. Paul says it in the text, he almost died. And while he had a thought that this was going to be his path, sick became his path. Some of you know what this feels like. You had plans. You thought you knew God's will and desire and purpose for you. And then this happened. Doctor's appointments, difficult procedures, painful conversations. Paul says he was a a neighbor to death. He almost died. And this was his road. For a good long while, it was his road. And here's what Paul is praising this man for. He traveled this road well. When it disrupted his plans, when it altered his desire, when it sent him in another direction, he traveled this road well. And the work of Christ happened as the result. Some of you have been battling an illness of some kind, and people are watching you, and people are seeing you. And I know you don't hear this very often, but by suffering well, the work of Christ is happening in your family. People are seeing the way you suffer. They're seeing the way you endure. They're seeing your grit. And they are drawing conclusions about Jesus as the result of it. And so I know that sickness doesn't get portrayed as a ministry very often, but I want you to know I'm grateful for your example. And this, we've seen all over this church throughout the years, we've just seen people suffer so well. And Christ is exalted, his name is worship, and people are coming to him as the result of your ministry. The work of Christ happened as the result. He says, now he's better and he's gonna come and visit you. But Paul wanted to take a minute and just celebrate this guy who endured and endured well. So you have three different callings. You have Paul who's in prison. He's gonna die for the gospel. We know that from history. You have Timothy who is seen in a caring role, a pastoral role by Paul. You have Epaphroditus who's dealing with sickness and disease. And all three have to work it out. They got to work it out and come to a place of peace and walk their stretch of road without complaining or arguing in grace, faith, and grit. So what I want to ask you is what road are you walking? Is it sickness? You had so many plans over here and now you've been shoved over here and it doesn't feel good. Is it unemployment? Is it challenging relationships? Is it financial stress? Maybe things are good and the path is clear. That's a calling too, all right? Don't feel bad if that's you right now. You're like, actually, yeah, didn't know if I needed to be here today. Things are pretty good. You're bringing me down. Um, You know, that's a calling too. And some of you are here today and you're, man, you just gotta work it out with God. You've got questions like why? Why, why is this my calling? God, where are you? Why would you even allow this? When are you going to stop? And, and you've got these questions, and here's what I want to say to you. It's okay. People have been working it out for 2,000 years. It's okay. Stop running from him. Stop running from him and start running to him. He can handle your questions. He's a big God. He's, he, he can handle every single one of them. Some of you have worked it out. You said, I worked that out a long time ago. You've worked it out with God and you went through your season where you needed to, but you've worked it out. 
and you've accepted it, but now you're trying to figure out what walking well looks like. Like what does, it mean to, what does it mean to walk this path well? What does it look like? And I think these are really important conversations for us to have, really important things for us to think about. So I want to pray for you and with you before we receive communion. I want to pray with you as you're working it out or you're trying to figure out what it means to walk well. I want to pray for you that God would give you wisdom, grace, and grit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for what Paul said, that your power is made perfect, not in our strength, but in our weakness. And some of us came in here hobbled, limping, afraid, unsure, weak. And what we maybe didn't realize until we walked into this place today we are a wonderful canvas for your power to be on display. And so I pray right now for everybody trying to work it out, everybody with big questions, difficult questions, hard questions, that you would give us the grace, faith, and grit to work it out with you. We wouldn't run away from you, which is what, which is what a lot of people do, but we would run to you with our questions. And for those that have worked it out and maybe worked it out a long time ago, and they're just saying, man, what does it look like to walk well? I, I've, I, I've worked it out. I, I know that this is my calling and this is what God has allowed. This is what, what is going on. What does it look like to walk well? I want to pray for them as well. That you would give them a wisdom to know what that looks like. And it is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. We're going to remember uh, through communion right now this moment where Jesus walked well up a steep hill to a cross where he died for our sins. And one of the things that we learn in this story is uh, something I'm grateful for, that someday he will return. The road won't always be hard. The road won't always be difficult. The road won't always be one of trial. Someday Jesus will return and he will make all things new. He will make all things right. And the road will be clear and it will stretch for miles in the most beautiful place you can imagine. And he is making all things new. So while right now he uh, allows this uh, brokenness to continue, someday there will be a wink and a nod up in heaven and he will return and he will make all things new and all things right. Until then, our prayer is for grace, faith, and grit. Let's remember Jesus and his example, his body given for you, his blood poured out. We are grateful for his example, and we leave this place determined to walk like he walked in grace, faith, and grit, and that we will walk well and we'll work out what we need to work out. A lot of us have questions and that's okay. Questions are okay. Bible's full of them. Jesus had them. Questions are okay, but we want to get to a place where that Paul becomes our mantra here of, all right, I can't even imagine this land from here, but I'm going to do everything without complaining and arguing. And I did an extensive Greek word study on this sermon and everything it actually doesn't mean some things. You might think it means some things. No, it means every single thing without complaining or arguing. 
And that's a great place to end up. So let's stand and, and sing together. God bless you guys.